Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, the witches stand accused and must stand before your honor. In other words, I watched a bunch of new and returning shows this week. I'm Jeff Braun. One of the great 80s sitcoms has been rebooted. We'll talk about Night Court and The Menu features some deadly and delicious dishes. And last week I watched all the Rocky movies. This week I switched from boxing to born. But first, the Oscars. The Academy Award nominations were announced a few days ago, and it's a pretty good crop this year up for Best Picture. And thank God for that, because the last two years were a little underwhelming. Obviously, the pandemic had a lot to do with that. I'm not saying all those movies were bad, but there weren't a lot from the last couple of years that have stuck with me or even made me want to rewatch them. Just a couple of weeks before the pandemic began, Parasite won the Best Picture Award for the movies of 2019, and that was a spectacular spectacular year. Besides Bong Joon-ho's masterpiece, that year gave us some of my favorite movies of recent years, like Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ford vs. Ferrari, and Little Women. I have distinct memories about seeing all four of those movies in theaters. I remember, for example, the group of car guys that were sitting beside me at Ford vs. Ferrari, giggling like teenagers, having a blast. I remember talking with an elderly woman after a matinee of Little Women as we both wiped tears from our eyes. I remember the theater absolutely buzzing after Parasite as people were utterly amazed at the story that had just unfolded before their eyes. Then it was gone for two years, but last year we started getting back to some of that, and the Academy's done a pretty good job of acknowledging it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. A sci-fi, comedy, drama, family story is among the most original movies any of us have ever seen, and it leads the Oscar contenders with 11 nominations. Mom, just wait. No time to wait. Very busy. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. If you can imagine it, somewhere out there, it exists. The universe is bigger than you realize. Do you think this is funny? There's no going back. Of all the places I could be, I just want to be here with you. The Banshees of Inisherin, an Irish fable about two friends having a falling out with truly surprising consequences, has eight nominations. Why aren't you talking to Parag no more? Colin? That wouldn't be a sin, no, would it, Father? No, but it's not very nice either. From writer-director Martin McDonough, Banshees is hilariously dark. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson are one of the all-time great on-screen pairings. There's two of us in this. No, there isn't. It takes two to tango. I don't want to tango. <laughs> you danced with your dog. The Banshees of Inish Aaron, rated R. The Fableman, Steven Spielberg's autobiographical story about a boy who dreams of becoming a movie director as his family life falls apart, has earned seven nominations. Movies are dreams that you never forget. A hundred dollars for a hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? The Fableman's is the best movie of the year. You do what your heart says you have to, so you don't owe anyone your life. Heart-grabbing and extraordinary. It's the movie we've been waiting for Steven Spielberg to make. What was your favorite part? The Fablemans. Rated PG-13. 
There's also Tar, acclaimed director Todd Field's long-awaited return to movies, bringing us a story of an orchestra conductor going through some intense drama featuring a powerhouse performance by Kate Blanchett. It's earned six nominations. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tar is one of the most important musical figures of our time. How's the writing going? Not so well. I keep hearing something. I received another weird email. There's no reason to get caught up in any intrigue. One can't be too careful. They're lies. And of course, the most beloved movie of the year, Top Gun Maverick really reopened theaters around the world and became the most successful movie of Tom Cruise's career. It clocks in with six nominations. Take a look at this. The man, the legend. This is going to take you and your aircraft to the breaking point. Make us proud. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Oh my god, here they come! Those are your pilots. If anything happens to them, you'll never forgive yourself. Here we are. Top Gun Maverick, rated PG-13. Those five movies all earned Best Picture nominations. They're also my favorite of the favorites of the crop, along with All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar, The Way of Water, Elvis, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. I still need to see all of those except for Avatar. But from the ones I have seen, I, like I said, it's a terrific crop. I think I'd vote for Tar if I had a vote. That movie stuck with me for weeks after I saw it, and I really like Todd Field, the director. It feels like everything everywhere all at once is the front runner, at least right now. These things can sometimes change in the weeks leading up to the show. And honestly, if any of those movies we just played clips from would win, I'd be very okay with that. I've seen a few articles about various snubs and whatnot, but honestly, I don't think there's anything truly glaring this year. Some people are saying Tom Cruise was snubbed for Best Actor, but I don't think even Tom Cruise was expecting that he'd get a nomination for acting for that movie, even though he is really good in it, because he's always good. I really do like the fact, though, that Top Gun got a screenplay nomination. That was unexpected. Usually the big blockbuster movies, especially an action movie, only get the technical awards, but it's hard to argue with it. I mean, we both noted, Brett, when it came out that it was about as perfect a sequel that they could have possibly made. It somehow feels fresh and new, but it also has all these great callbacks and nods to the first movie. It's just an impeccable structure to the film, which is important. Great writing all around, so it did earn that nomination, even though it kind of sticks out when you... It's usually artier fair in those categories for the writing. Uh, it also used to be that the Oscars would give best picture to some big epic film but the last 10 to 15 years they've really gone with smaller movies a lot of the time like the hurt locker or spotlight or movies that are very different than usual the usual fare like the artist which was a silent movie and parasite which was a foreign movie so i don't think it'll be a surprise if everything everywhere all at once wins but if the academy really wanted to go in a different direction they would go with top gun and that would be a lot of fun i think it's probably a long shot but i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility i, I wouldn't be like my jaw wouldn't drop if Top Gun won. I think it really could. But we'll find out on Oscar night. Uh, it's March 12th, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. And by the way, if you want to see where these are, if you want to know how to watch these movies, uh, I will say that All Quiet on the Western Front's on Netflix. Avatar is obviously in theaters. The Banshees of Inisherin, you can rent it. It's also on Disney+. Plus. Elvis, you can rent. It's on Crave as well. Everything, everywhere, all at once is on Prime Video, and you can rent that as well. The Fableman's back in theaters this weekend, as is Tar. You can also rent Tar. Top Gun Maverick's on Paramount+, Plus and up for rent. You can rent Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking, of course, just opened in theaters last week. Again, the Oscars will be held March 12th. Brett, do you have any thoughts about the Oscars this year? 
Uh, well, I'm just looking at the uh, at the list here. Triangle of Sadness. I got to admit, I had not even heard of this movie <laughs> until I saw the Oscar nominations. Uh, <laughs> have you seen it? I know. How many have you seen? Of the I've best. seen six. Yeah, I haven't seen Elvis, even though it's been sitting on Crave there the whole time. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, I've not seen Women Talking. I have plans to see, possibly, in the next couple of weeks. And then the, the war movie, the Netflix movie, All Quiet on the Western Front. I'll probably watch that this weekend. So, no, Triangle of Sadness, I haven't. Uh, Woody Harrelson's in it. It's about. It's a story about, uh, it's a dark, bleak comedy, like a black comedy about uh, rich people on a yacht. I think Woody Harrelson's the captain of the yacht, and it's uh, one of these, you know, uh, kind of uh, satirical looks at eating the rich kind of a thing. Okay, okay. Looks like fun. Well, I am happy that uh, Maverick got the Best Picture nomination after all. And I know that the, the Oscars, they, they when they expanded the field to be able to go up to 10 nominees, part of the point of that was to allow to include something that was a bit more popular so we've seen movies like Black Panther get nominated for best picture did the dark knight get a best picture nomination i can't remember no it did not but it came out the year before and they always say because it didn't that's why they bumped ah, it up to 10 ah yes yeah. okay that's right and we've seen things like toy story 3 get nominated for best picture and not just best animated film and uh, yeah, so but but I just watched everything everywhere all at once a couple of weeks ago, and uh, mind blown. You, I mean, you told me that you, your mind was blown months ago when you watched it in theaters, and I had been sitting on watching it. I don't know why I finally or why it took so long to get around to it, but wow, I, I, the most unique film, and maybe that's one of the the good things about this year is so far like. Top Gun Maverick is the most exciting movie I've ever watched. Everything Everywhere All at Once might just be the most unique film. And this is a really diverse list of nominations here. Like the All Quiet on the Western Front is apparently an extraordinary war film. Um, Avatar, I, st <laughs> I still haven't seen it. I, gotta, I know I have to drag myself to the theater because who knows how long it's going to be there for. And... Um, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Almost I'm, all of these movies are too long. Like, that's a real, you know what I mean? Like, we don't have, I guess we do have a lot of free time to watch movies and stuff, as you will tell us later when you talk about Jason Bourne. But, <laughs> uh, but like, making plans to go see a three-hour or a three-hour-plus-long movie, like, that's your whole day in most regards. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's I hate that they, all these movies are so long. Well, the Oscars, once again, they're going to be held on March 12th. And in a moment, Jeff's going to tell you about... The opposite of the Oscars. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We were just talking the Oscars, and now the opposite. The Razzie nominations always come out around the same time as the Oscar noms, and a young actress is getting an apology this year from the Razzies. Brian Kira Armstrong is now 12, but she was 11 when she filmed the horror movie Firestarter. You're special, Charlie. I'm not special. I'm a monster. Earlier this week, she was nominated for Worst Actress by the Razzies, a parody group that every year mocks award season by celebrating what they deem the worst in film. The announcement of Armstrong's nomination was called cruel and insensitive by many online, and now the Razzies are backtracking, saying in a statement, Armstrong's name is now off the ballot, and they regret any hurt she experienced as a result of their choices. Going forward, all nominees will be 18 or older. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood.
Last year, they had to backtrack as well after making fun of Bruce Willis just weeks before he went public with his illness. I took umbrage with another nomination this year, though. There are a lot of nominations on the Razzies for Jurassic World Dominion. I get that it was panned big time by critics, but come on, it's not that bad. All the Jurassic Park movies, other than the first one, have some dumb things in them. Dominion is not markedly worse. Frankly, I rank it fourth of the six. It's better than Jurassic Park 3. It's way better than Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. But my real problem with the Razzies is that they nominated Bryce Dallas Howard's performance from the Jurassic World movie for Worst Actress. No other actors in the movie were nominated, making it seem like she's the worst thing in the movie, and she just is not. If anything, she's the best actor in that recent trilogy. So that is a huge misfire. I don't really care about the Razzies, but that one got under my skin just a little bit. Okay, something more fun now. I watched the dark comedy thriller The Menu on Disney Plus this week, and Ray Fine served up a heaping helping of creepy vibes. Tonight will be madness. Welcome to Hawthorne. Yes, sir! This is insane. You shouldn't be here. Yes, sir! This is real, isn't it? Yes, sir! What the heck is going on? Something special. Yes, sir! I love you all. We love you too, sir! We're gonna die tonight. Come on, we can't miss this. Who's hungry? The menu in theaters November 18, rated R. I remember seeing the trailer for the menu a couple of times last fall, right before it came out in theaters, and I thought, ah, that looks intriguing, but it also looks like it might be super gross and maybe even about cannibalism or something, so I wasn't about to pay money to see it. But now that it's streaming on a service I'm already paying for, I thought I'd give it a whirl, and if I had to turn it off, so be it. The good news, at least for me, is that it was not gory at all. There were a lot of opportunities for gore, and the movie bypasses them, maybe even a little disappointingly so. Uh, the premise of the menu is this. There's a group of 12 ultra-rich diners who take a boat across the harbor to this little island, which is home to an exclusive restaurant, so exclusive that they can turn a profit with just those 12 customers in one night because they're charging $1,250 a plate. As you might expect, these ultra-rich patron patrons are not wonderful people. There are a few young businessmen, an older couple, there's a food critic and her editor, a washed-up actor and his assistant-slash-mistress, and an extreme foodie and his date. The foodie is played by Nicholas Holt. His date is Anya Taylor-Joy, who was not originally supposed to be his date, but was invited at the last minute. She doesn't fit in, and we eventually find out why. John Leguizamo plays the actor. Janet McTeer is the critic. And Judith Light from Who's the Boss is one half of the older couple. Those are the biggest names amongst the diners. The chef is played by Ray Fiennes, and he has some wild surprises in store for his customers. There's a deeply creepy vibe right from the beginning, and it only intensifies as the movie goes along. Things get weird, then they get weirder, and the diners do their best to sort of explain away some of the more disturbing elements of the dinner until they can no longer ignore the fact that they might be in real danger. They certainly soon lose their appetite, except for Holt, who is such a devout foodie that he doesn't much care if people might get hurt so long as he gets a good dining experience. There's a lot of sparkling dialogue about fancy schmancy food, I suppose the more pretentious you are, the more you may get out of that. I'm a very, very plain eater, and I didn't understand any of the foodie talk, but that was okay. You don't have to understand any of that to understand the movie, and that in many ways is the mark of a good movie when they can take a topic you know nothing about and keep you involved in the story. Ray Fiennes is terrific in this. He's a monster, but unlike, say, Gordon Ramsay, he's mostly level-headed. He rarely raises his voice. His staff regard him as a god, and he has complete control over them. He claps his hand, and they all 
well snapped to attention. Thane, uh, Ray Fiennes, is, of course, is always terrific as the villain, whether it be fictional or historical, you know, from Voldemort and Harry Potter to the notorious SS com Commandant Amon Gert in uh, Schindler's List. The, the performance is much more fun than any of those, of course, and, you know, he can easily sell things that smack of high society because he's British and he just sounds like he's a fancy man. Uh, he, I think he's an underrated actor, actually. He's one of my favorites, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I do wish the movie was a little bit bloodier. Um, I, uh, there's like someone gets hurt and they don't show any blood and you would expect to see that sort of a thing. So it sort of seems like they're going for it. Well, the, it seems like they're going for a PG 13, but there's so many F bombs that it absolutely has an R rating. So I don't know why they didn't just throw in a little bit more blood overall, though. I was very pleasantly surprised by the twists and turns and the fact that I could stomach it all. It's a wild concept for a movie. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. And I'll give the menu on Disney plus three and a half couch cushions out of five. Never thought I would hear Jeff Braun saying, I wish it was more gory. I wish there was more blood, more violence. Exactly. Okay. You know what? Thanks for reviewing this because I have been meaning to watch the menu. But as always, there are so many things to watch. And eventually things just kind of get forgotten about and left behind. So I will endeavor to try to do that this week. Up next, I want to learn more about this reboot. I actually forgot it was on. Jeff said, hey, I watched three episodes of this, and I thought, oh, come on, it already started. You were listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Reboots and remakes of classic TV shows and movies, of course, are nothing new, but there was a notable show that launched just a couple of weeks ago. It's Night Court. Your Honor, the defendant is groping her attorney. That's Night Court, baby. Big Bang's Melissa Robbins. Anyone that's a stripper, please go home. John Larroquette. I am renowned for charm and grace. Night Court. The new Night Court is a direct descendant of the original series, which ran on NBC from 1984 to 1992. This new show, as we heard there, stars Melissa Roush as Abby Stone, the daughter of Harry Stone, who, of course, was the main character in the original series. Roush, of course, played Bernadette on The Big Bang Theory for most of that show's long run. She seems like a whole different person in this, not just because it's, you know, obviously a different character, but she also gets to use her normal voice, not the high-pitched, squeaky voice she used when she was playing Bernadette. Adept. There's only one OG cast member in the new Night Court. It's John Larroquette reprising his Emmy-winning role as Dan Fielding. Should mention that, you know, sadly, other stars from the first series, including Harry Anderson, Marky Post, and Charles Robinson have all passed away, which is kind of a bummer when you think about it. But it is nice to see Dan Fielding again. And I was shocked to learn that John Larroquette is 75 years old. Uh, looking at him, I would have guessed closer to 60. Um, a lady named Lacretta plays Gergs, the bailiff. Kapil Talwalker plays Neil, the court clerk. And India de Beaufort plays Olivia, the prosecutor. Dan Fielding was the prosecutor in the first series. Now he's the defense counsel. And Abby Stone is the judge. The series begins on her first day at the new job, filling the shoes of her father, who in the show has passed away. And it's uh, she who recruits Dan to come back to Night Court, even though he doesn't really want to. But he also feels that he can be a father figure to her now that Harry's gone. So while Dan Fielding is the thread that connects the new show to the old, he's not the same guy. If, if you're going to tune into this Night Court 
and hope to hear a bunch of dirty jokes fly out of Dan Fielding's mouth. Don't bother. He still does have an acerbic wit. He's still kind of crusty sometimes, but he is 75 years old, and so he acts his age. If he were lusting after young women, the show would be pretty creepy. The other holdover from the original series is the theme song, which we heard just a moment ago. It's an updated, shorter version, but it's back, and of course, it's a classic. Uh, three episodes have aired so far. The pilot was not great, but pilot episodes are often not great. There's just so much setup that they have to do that the jokes tend to fall by the wayside. The good news is I thought there was noticeable improvement in the second episode and even more in the third episode. We live in a day and age where new shows need to get good quickly or they're gone. There's just too many choices for viewers to spend time on shows that take too long to find their feet. This show is still looking to find its feet, I think, but it does show promise. I laugh quite a bit watching the third episode. Like the original series, the show gets a lot of laughs from the weirdo criminals that show up in the night court to have their day in court. Uh, the character-based humor, you know, that's just going to take time to develop because we don't know any of these new characters yet, really. I found the biggest nostalgia hit, though, came from the set. It looks identical to the old show, even though I very much doubt they kept all that stuff locked up in a warehouse for 30 years. The courtroom, the judge's office, the hallway between them, the cafeteria, all dead ringers, and it really made me miss the original series. So overall, it hasn't been great so far, but it also hasn't been terrible, and it does look like it could be something good, hopefully soon. I will keep with it for a while because, you know, adding a sitcom to my lineup only takes 22 minutes a week. The new Night Court airs every Tuesday on NBC. All right. I will maybe have to check that out as well because I miss Night Court too. Now that he's hearing that music and hearing you talk about all the sets and whatnot and yeah. the, the cast members that we've lost over the years. Uh, that was a great show. Huge, huge part of my childhood. And uh, great to see John Larroquette back because he was so good as Dan Fielding. I started watching a new show on AMC, uh, actually based on the urging of my father, Smash Gordon, because he it started a couple of weeks ago on January 15th, and I had seen the trailer for it and thought, ah, I don't think I'm going to check that out. But uh, I did, and I'm glad I did, based on the further works of Anne Rice. Do you know this place? It's the old Mayfair house. What do you know about it? Murders, disappearances. But really, that house is famous for its witches. What? Alexandra D'Addario stars in Mayfair Witches. I don't understand anything that's happening. The town of Mask exists to investigate the uh, unexplained. I'm assigned to observe the Mayfair. Your gift is the strongest thing I've ever felt. Do all the Mayfairs have gifts? Based on Anne Rice's Lives of the Mayfair Witches, this show is an exploration, as they write, it's an exploration of female power and the mortal implications of our decisions. Mayfair Witches focuses on an intuitive young neurosurgeon, played by Daddario, who discovers she is the unlikely heir to a family of witches. As she grapples with her newfound powers, she must contend with a sinister presence that has haunted her family for generations. And I, I got the date wrong. It actually started on January 8th. So there are three episodes that are already out there and you can get them on demand. I've only watched the first two. It's at 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. So the critics overall not liking it. I really enjoyed the first two episodes. I thought it was pretty cool. And Daddario, like I don't know anything about the, the Mayfair Witch's books. I don't know anything about this character. But to get her to play a witch, I think it's pretty cool because she's got like some of the most unique eyes 
And she's just got those big, bright blue eyes, and they're piercing. So if they manage to take advantage of that in some sort of supernatural way, I think that will be fantastic. And so far, she's been really good in the show. So I am enjoying Mayfair Witches, and I'm curious to see what else happens. I should point out as well, um, I still got to get back to watching Interview with a Vampire, the other Anne Rice show that's on AMC. So maybe I can have like a, an Anne Rice night of the week or something. So it airs on Sundays. And again, the first three episodes are available on demand if you want to watch them. Sidebar on AMC. I don't know if AMC's like new manifesto is to become the home of all things supernatural because they've got the vampire show. They've got this witches show. And I thought the walking dead, like the original first series, which recently wrapped up, I assumed that would be it for that branch of the Walking Dead world, but no, I learned in watching Mayfair Witches, seeing the commercials for the Walking Dead universe. So they've managed to, they've created three spin-off shows from the, the cast of the original show, and uh, they're, they're saying bigger and deader, and I just, there's still Fear the Walking Dead is on, that's going into season eight. Like, how many, I uh, I don't know. I don't even know what when to say. When zombies take over, they really take over. <laughs> it's too much. It is too much. Uh, I would also point out that I had this in my shows I'm looking forward to in 2023, a couple of weeks back, the anthology crime drama Accused. We all walk that line. Every week. Every day. Every minute. And it's only when we cross that line that we truly learn what it means to be alone. What it means to stand accused. So it's an anthology based on an award-winning British show where each episode begins in the courtroom with the accused. We don't know the crime yet or how they ended up there. And then the story is told from the defendant's point of view and shows how all these normal people can get caught up in crazy situations and how quickly things can go bad. And then before they know it, it's too late. The cast includes Rachel Bilson, Michael Chiklis, um, Margot Martindale, Wendell Pierce, and more. And the first episode starred Michael Chiklis. And it was, I liked it. It's, it, although I didn't, I liked the story, but his performance didn't quite convince me because he, he played this somewhat meek character. And I think I like him more when he's kind of mean or more aggressive. And uh, I don't know. I just uh, his performance didn't sell me. But I really, really liked the story. And it felt relevant and like a story we almost needed to see uh, because it tied into nothing specific from the real world, but something that we have seen play out time and time again. And uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed that. So Accused is on Global on Sundays. It debuted on the 22nd. So you can watch that first episode on demand if you missed it. And I also just want to quickly mention that uh, season two debuted a couple of weeks back for Your Honor. I'm offering you a chance to atone for what you have done. to help bring down the single greatest threat to New Orleans. I can't do this. There are memories that I just can't bear. Who do you think you're talking to? 
Have I given you the impression that any of this is optional? So season one of Your Honor wrapped up in early 2021, starring Brian Cranston as a judge in a remake of an Israeli show. And what happens is his son, driving a car, hits a, another teenager who dies. The teenager was riding a bike, and he dies in this crash. And the, the kid runs away. He It's a hit and run. And it turns out that the kid he hit is the son of the most ruthless crime lord in the city. And Cranston, as the judge, has a decision to make, rat out his kid or try to hide the truth. And he tries to hide that truth. And because of that, all kinds of bad things happen to a lot of different people. And it was only supposed to be a limited series, but... They renewed it for a second season. I was disappointed with that first season. Cranston was fantastic, but just the writing I thought was a little weird. And they teased all kinds of big fights between the rival gangs and and nothing happened. It felt like they were building to something more, but it didn't go anywhere. So I just felt really disappointed. And the ending of this series was super abrupt which wasn't necessarily bad, but it just I, it, I wasn't satisfied with it. So far, season two, two episodes in, it's good so far. I'm curious to see, because the, the story had a lot of potential. It just didn't reach its potential in that first season, so maybe it reaches it in the second season. So that's a Showtime series from the U.S., and you can find it in Canada on Crave. Up next, I apparently am craving watching and binging through movie series because last week it was Rocky and this week I decided an amnesiac assassin was the order of the day. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brady's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes and this week I kind of did the same thing I did last week. Last weekend I wanted to watch a movie, couldn't figure out what to watch and then I remembered, oh yeah, all the Rocky movies are on Crave. So I watched all the Rocky movies last weekend. And this past weekend, um, I, as I was flipping through the various streaming services, I landed on this. Hamill Landy. This is Jason Bourne. Bourne? What did I say? If I even feel somebody behind me, I will bring this fight to your doorstep. Trace it. Where is he? Right next to you. Jason Bourne, The Bourne, everything. I watched all five Bourne movies on Prime Video. Uh, I just it popped up, and I thought, you know what? I've I've seen at least the first three movies. I've seen them many, many times, but I don't think I've watched that first trio of movies since before. The final movie came out, Jason Bourne, and that was in 2016. So I watched The Bourne Identity, and then I just kept plowing through. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to keep going with these movies. And I enjoyed the first three once again. The first three Bourne movies are so good. I can't believe, by the way, Jeff, from 2002, The Bourne Identity. Did you realize oh. it was over 20 years old? I did not. That's, oh my God, that's that's young Matt Damon. That's not old man Matt Damon. Yeah. So The Born Identity came out in 2002 and set the table. And I really, like, the that one is a bit slower paced than Supremacy and, and Ultimatum. And I'm glad I revisited it because over the years I kind of came to this conclusion that The Born Identity was, of the three movies, the more boring movie. And now I've completely... I've reversed my my thoughts on that. I sort of liked that it was a bit more deliberate. And that's not a criticism of the other two movies, but I enjoyed the, the slower pacing in this as this man, this assassin, 
who with no memory, trying to figure out who he is as he puts the pieces together and does some pretty cool stuff. And the things that I really like about the Bourne movies is it's kind of uh, like James Bond, obviously those movies are cool and he does cool things and he has cool toys and Mission Impossible, same thing. The, the movies are a lot of fun and there's lots of neat gadgets and stuff. Whereas this one's more down to earth and it's it's just cool to see, especially in the, the identity, to see him sort of start realizing the various things that he can do. Like that moment where one of the cops puts their hand on him and then he grabs their, them to block them. And he just has that brief sort of sparkle in his eye that's a, it's like recognition of the fact that he has these skills and also, I guess, the perhaps the recognition, like, I'm about to beat this man senseless, and I didn't know I could do that. So it's cool as we see him unlock these various portions of his memory through those first three movies. And uh, all three of them have amazing car chases. The Born Supremacy, the car chase in the streets of Russia. Man, that is cool. So much fun. And uh, The Born Legacy in 2012, starring Jeremy Renner as a different assassin in a different branch of government assassin programs. Um, they, this movie was basically a placeholder to because they knew that they were hoping Matt Damon would eventually come back as Jason Bourne. I liked it. It's, it's, it's not great, but it was a fun action movie. Jeremy Renner is terrific. Rachel Weisz is in it. She's always terrific. So you don't have to watch it. It doesn't... If you don't watch it, it doesn't ruin the continuity of the story. And uh, then I finally did revisit Jason Bourne from 2016. I remember when I saw that in the theater, I thought, kind of kind of disappointing. And this time out, I wasn't disappointed, but it still is sort of meh. Like, it's just, it doesn't really add anything new uh, to this series, which kind of makes me sad. Because so, we were so excited when he announced he was coming back as Jason Bourne finally after, because Ultimatum came out in 2007, so there was almost 10 years between those movies. So, yeah, when's the last time you watched any of the Bournes, Jeff? It's been a long time. I've never seen the last one, uh, the fifth one. I, I have been meaning, I've wanted to rewatch, like, do the same thing you did, but, like, over the course of a month. But uh, the Bourne Identity is a sticking part because I've seen that one the most. And it's like, oh, I don't want to have to rewatch that one before going on to the others. But <laughs> I sort of have to because it's all connected, right? <laughs> I I laugh because I do the same thing. It's like ah, I want to watch these other ones, but I have to watch this other one again because I can't I can't do it out of order. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Hey.